Hey, listeners, I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. Michael Anderley is the founder and CEO of LMBPN Publishing. I first met Michael this summer at Pittsburgh when he hosted a 20 books to 50K event. One thing I greatly admire about him that you'll see later in this interview is one of his greatest successes that he wants to talk about is not necessarily how much money he can make writing science fiction and fantasy, but how many authors he can give the opportunity to turn writing into their full-time job. I hope you enjoy the interview. Michael Anderley, the founder, the CEO of LMBPN Publishing, and also the author of the Crithurian Gambit series. You are sort of proving that traditional gatekeepers and publishing no longer have the same hold that, that they had over authors and creators that they had even just 10 years ago. You're sort of living the dream, though, right now, too. You created this powerhouse publishing platform, and then you brought your wife on board and created a, sort of a family business. I'm, I'm wondering, could you share the story of how LMBPN became an entity? Uh, absolutely. So notwithstanding some of the information, so my first book came out in November of 2015, and because I am what I call a whale reader, someone who reads at least a book a week, so at least 50 books if you take vacation off of reading, which I would not have uh, a year, uh, that's a whale reader. And so I was, at the time, I noticed that I wouldn't really pay attention to any books unless they had three in the series. And because I'm a voracious reader, I probably was in the 100 to 150 range at that time of books. You know, I went into the indie side because the publishing side could not supply my need, you know, my need for the stories that I wanted. And so I, uh, I went ahead and wrote three books and put them out quickly in succession. And it just so happened that uh, the, the month of November is NaNoWriMo. So after I dropped my first book, which probably took me about three weeks to write in total, uh, I went ahead and did the second book. It took about nine or 10 days. And the third book is like 11, 12, 13 days. And how long And were so they? I dropped, I'm sorry. How long were they? I'm sorry for cutting you off. I'm just curious. Uh, they're about 63 to 70,000 words in that range. In 11 days. Uh, one one book, not not three. Yeah, <laughs> but right. yes, uh, there there is a situation where you know I'm a programmer by background, and so I have the ability, or was trained, if you will, for logical thought of what needs to come next. And so I'm able to start a story and logically think of the pieces that that need to occur. And so even though my books can be a little convoluted, it wasn't that hard for me to create little beat sheets to make sure I kept myself on track, and then just sit down. And do the butt and seat typing, which is what programmers are familiar with. So if you can even only, quote, only do a thousand words an hour, which is, it's a little rough, but it's not too bad. Some people do two to three thousand an hour. I do not. I typically do in the range of twelve hundred to fifteen hundred words an hour. And you just multiply that by the time you need to be in a seat. Then if you're willing to do, you know, twelve hours of writing three days constantly, you're at fifty to sixty uh, word, just 60,000 words. And usually I start strong somewhere around four to 7,000 words. It starts to become a little bit of a mental slog. And I'm that way all the way till about 58 or 48 to 52,000 words, in which case I'm so excited to see the end that, you know, I'll put long days and do 10,000 word days, you know, and so it takes two of those and you're done. And this so, is how you got those mm -hmm. first three books out. Correct. Those are the first three of the Crithurian Gambit. The fourth one followed up instead of, I think I released number three on November 23rd, number four came out December 15th, and I think number five came out January 5th or 8th. So that was how fast they came out, and uh, partially due to certainly a story that resonated or characters that resonated, and partially for the fact that I was 
producing these books so fast, by my third month, I had made five figures that month. So over $10,000 that month. And money has its own way of encouraging you to continue. Yeah, absolutely. Where were most of these readers coming from? Were you promoting it at all? Were you, or was it just sort of naturally finding books in this genre on Amazon? Um, it was it was certainly Amazon's algorithms after book four. There was at one moment that I thought I uh, because I came from a, a sales and marketing background, uh, both consultative online and, and digital. I knew how to do Facebook ads. I, I knew how to do Google ads, and had done them before. So it so happened that my book came out December fifteenth. I believe it was December eighteenth that. Uh, which is about four days later that I did my first small Facebook ad and I wake up the next morning and I had a, a relatively large jump in my income. And I thought, man, I am the dog when it comes to some Facebook ads. So that, those were my first days where I was doing more than a hundred dollars a day and of income. And this is the net income after Amazon takes their, their money out. But after spending hundreds of dollars, I realized it wasn't Facebook, and, and after some amount of time in the business, I realized Amazon had actually done me a service and emailed, after that first book, some people who liked my stuff or would like it. They started promoting me, and that is was my first big bump, and then, of course, you get into some emails and other things that uh, allow you to continue, plus just the, the sheer effect of book five, book six, book seven. Yeah, which all makes sense. I mean, Amazon sometimes gets a bit of a bad rep, especially from some indie authors. Uh, but the fact of the matter is Amazon is in the money-making business, and they want you to sell your books because the more books you sell, the more money they earn. Absolutely, and if they see somebody as being successful, especially, I mean, the, the real gold rush days, so to speak, at least in my mind, is back in the 2011, 2012 time frame. I didn't start till 2015. Everybody was like, oh, woe is me. You know, the gold rush days are gone. And I believe that's still now. People are like, oh, woe is me. The gold rush days are gone. And it's like, not really. It's the ability to put out crap days are gone where you get money, you know, for, for nothing. So it, it's more from the standpoint that you have to be more professional with that, have a better cover. But the ability for Amazon that sees a book randomly, because everything is run by algorithms, there's no humans involved in this to speak of, and push you has more to do with your ability to get seen and so for myself with advertising and knowing that you know i'm gonna have to spend you know a fair amount of money i didn't want to put a bunch of money up on only one book release so i didn't you know i had three books up before i started getting advertising to speak of four books that just means that if i had good read through from book one through book four i would make you know eight books per customer or eight dollars per customer versus you know two dollars or something so your kpi was uh the first book's performance or uh dollars per customer in a way basically if you could land one fan then you would multiply that by the number of books you had out with the year with your um royalties in a way i mean my true first one was what ended up becoming the basis for the the facebook group 20 books to 50k my first one was how many how much money was i making per book per day and I was a little surprised to see that I, you know, in the beginning, but after the second book, I was starting to jump into that $15 a day range, so seven and a half dollars a book. Some days it would be less, nine, 10, 11, 12. Some days it might be a little bit more. But I could believe in seeing what was going on 
that seven and a half dollars a day was completely doable. So I just ramped it up and said, well, considering how fast I'm dropping these books, what if I were to produce 20 books over the next 14 months? Yeah, I'd be making $50,000 a year, which in Cabo at the time is something that you can live on quite nicely. So that was kind of my dream, and that would allow me to actually allow my wife to um, you know, quit her job and retire, quote, unquote, retire early. She didn't want to do such a thing, but I would have been able to actually have offered it to her. So when did you go from the author to the businessman? When were you just when were you thinking not just about your Carthurian Gambit series, but also LMBPN publishing as a global entity? I considered or we considered even because even at that time with my wife working, she's a uh, global marketing director. But for me personally, it was a lot of just myself in the beginning and I considered LMBPN a publishing company with one client, just myself. And that was my focus during all of 2016. Toward the end, something had been said one time that annoyed me, and that was that I misinterpreted a saying from Sean Platt where he had commented that, you know, Michael's a special snowflake. And I, I found it from him much later. He didn't mean it the way that I interpreted it. But what it did with my misinterpretation was focus and say, you know what, can I teach someone? So I have this Carthurian Gambit. The fans are asking for more books than I can even possibly provide or even want to. I knew that I was coming to a point in time where I was separating the main character to go where I, as an author, wanted to go, which was deep space and space battles, and leaving behind the Earth. And they would have questions because of something else I had done. So I reached out to Craig Martell. At the same time, Jason um, Sloan had reached out to me, and I decided to open it up and do collaborations. And then that was how my publishing company facilitated moving forward, because unlike, say, quote, you know, accepting someone and accepting their book series, we were actively creating book series inside of my already successful Carthurian Gambit universe. universe. The problem is a lot of people tried to duplicate it without my income, and it's very expensive to do these things. So what's really fascinating about the story you're telling me right now is you were such a consumer-driven business that you actually welcomed consumers in to help you produce. Is that, has that been sort of um, a model you've been following? I know you do have some fan-written books that you, you sell on your platform as well. Right. So that is the fans' right for the fans, and I'll get to that, but... But you're right. I mean, if you go back to book five, book six, and the fans were loving the books. But even then, you know, there's some like, hey, you know, the the editing that you're doing. And, and as a producer, I did not like the editing model that was being done at the time, which was get with an editor. If you want to work with them, you have to get on their schedule and they which could be four weeks away. And then you know, they might take two or three weeks once the schedule's there to get the book back to you. And I'm like, no, I, I'm finished on Tuesday. I'm releasing this by Friday. Wednesday would be better, but Friday's fine. And so what was born of that was fans writing, uh, fans helping in a beta group. And what would happen is I write my books linearly. So even though I have convoluted storylines, I would arc them on a spreadsheet, you know, go from left to right for, let's say, five different arcs. And let's pretend that each arc, each arc has five different, or excuse me, seven different beats. And then I would take those 35 beats and I would rearrange them in order, like sticky notes down a wall, how I needed to write them into the chapter.
chapters. And then I would just start at the top, chapter one, and start writing. Well, along chapter five, I would take the first four chapters and give those to my beta team. And they would start reading and they would start editing. And so by the time that I'm finished writing, I have at least 15 to 20 chapters already edited. And then from there, we learned what was called the just-in-time team taken from um, my own programming background where I would take the book um, that had done and then we would give it to a smaller group of people willing in 18 to 24 hours to read the book and find any further mistakes that were there, things that we just all missed. And so we would take that. So if I finished on Wednesday, then usually it was by Friday morning, I'm releasing it. And it was pretty clean, all supported by the fans who wanted to help. That's amazing. So you're editing along the way instead of doing the yes. traditional thing of writing a rough draft, then sending it, then reading through and doing a, a second round draft, then sending it off to beta readers, then sending it off to an editor. I mean, so so basically you're you're getting these eight rounds of edits all done before you even finish your rough draft. Correct. Because I don't, I don't go back and do a second pass. There might be times when I would reread what I had just written, but in general, I, you know, I'm never in chapter 15 wondering what I did back in chapter one and needing to tweak it. I had already had the beats and then probably I think about it. It does go back to my programming side where I already understand what I need to code here in order to be over there. How do, if you're building this whole universe and you're bringing all these voices on board, how do you handle continuity? Uh, difficultly. So what my most important aspect of when I brought the collaborators on was to facilitate letting them understand my voice, meaning why did I write the way that I wrote? For a couple of the authors, they had you know 20 books already out there before they wrote with me, and they should have, in my estimation, already seen success. So some of them joined in just to have that opportunity to go, well, what is he doing different? And I'm not, I wasn't trying to change them, but I was trying to explain to them that the fans are there for an emotional drug. They have a dopamine hit. And this is true no matter the genre. So your fans want, are looking for you for that consistency. So whether or not you're giving them sugar or you're giving them Splenda, they want that item. So, for example, one, um, one author, Joe, Justin Sloan, he was very much a tension-oriented author where the, the concept comes in that you have your characters and they get in trouble and the next thing you know, you've driven them up a tree and you've made that tense enough, you get people to start throwing rocks at them in the tree. And when that's done, you set the fire to the tree and you have to keep getting them out of these successfully more painful situations until finally they get out of the tree and, and they solve everything. And I hate that as a reader. I just, I don't want a full book of tension. I want a book where I'm through this and I'm excited and I'm, you know, jumping up and down metaphorically for the, the people. And so he and I had some conversations back and forth related to that and getting him to write in this other style, um, at least within the Carthusian Gambit. I understand he's since gone on to continue that and he's doing very well. So it, it reaches a, a, a fan base that, the typical method does not. Now, when we kind of go forward a little bit more, I had a, a particular situation where I'm thinking, what is the best sales? Now, remember, my, my background is in sales marketing, you know, or sales consulting. And the best, absolute best, is word of mouth. Now, I, I was a reader. Doing this authoring thing, I realized, isn't that hard? 
it's the it's the mental challenges that you have to overcome not the technical challenges anymore with the with the amazon system and so i'm like you know what can i offer what can i as a publisher offer my fans and one of them is permission to write inside of my universe i had already done it with collaborators with other authors who knew the business what could i do for someone whose mountain someone whose bucket list item is to be an author someday and i'm like you know what i'll set up this situation where we will allow the fans to support fans writing in my universe we will get it edited by my team which by that time has grown quite large and we will uh support this opportunity for their for them to see their name on the covers and so that's what you know created the fans right for the fans and it, it's been it, it does it's not necessarily monetarily successful once i pay for everything but it is paid off in spades in changing some fans' lives and for even us finding new authors who we might not have ever seen without this project. Well, that's fascinating to me because you're acknowledging that you're going to take either a neutral hit or even a loss in order to keep the people that have kept your uh, brand alive for so long happy and engaged in the universe. And then it also pays off long-term dividends if you can bring on a new author into your stable. And... Um, it's it's almost like you're you're you seem very self aware of uh, legacy. Is that is does that seem uh, fair to say? I think the 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 answer partially partially is I just wanted to help people, and then in turn I found out this benefit. I did not expect the benefit of finding let's say Natalie Roberts or Sarah Weir or Erica Everest. I didn't expect to find them at the end of this first book. It was a blessing that happened because I did this other thing. On the legacy side. I'm I, I'm driven, I guess, from two different things. I want my fans to want to reread stories because they love characters, and then I do want to make money. That's kind of in the whole premise. And so from that, I love the fact that we are being given opportunities to help change lives. I do recognize that on my deathbed, it will not be the income that I'm happy about. It's going to be that I can point back and say, I remember when I met this person because they were in the hospital with nothing else to do and reading through the Crithian Gambit gave them a lot of, you know, a lot of peace and they reached out to me later and that person ends up becoming the main editor for my company. So you see this company outliving you? I don't know. Um, being kind of business entrepreneurial minded, I do see, you know, what's my exit strategy? That was going you know, to be my uh, follow-up. I was curious about that. Uh, personally, when I work with individuals on the consulting side of their business, and we ask them, what's their 25-year plan at the moment or help them develop it? What is their exit strategy? Do they have a succession plan in place? Those sort of questions. I'm curious if you see LMBPN still booming in 20 years from now. I think on, on 20 years from now, it'll be in someone else's hands, absolutely. I, I don't have the focus, at least I don't think I do, have the focus to want to to deal with that. Um, you know, I, I started late at this game. I started 47. So I'm 51 now. And uh, we, we just passed our three-year mark of when the, you know, the series um, first appeared on Amazon. I look at LMBPN as an IP company. Think of it more like a Marvel situation. If someone wants to buy LMBPN, they're doing it not necessarily because we have an infrastructure, which we do, that's rather unique, but because we already have 400 titles, if you will, 
or we already have, you know, by that time, 17 universes of content. And, you know, the Cuthering Gambit universe is well over 150 books, but we're a Saren universe is over 80 books. And we're bringing on another one right now whose plan is that we'll be producing seven or more books a month uh, for hopefully all of 2019. So when the fan part of that kicks in, I could see it becoming a two or 300 book universe within 18 months. And so you, they're rich, they're full. When someone comes into something like that, and let's say they, you know, the, the Marvel, you know, Marvel sold for $4 billion. And we're looking at that going, there's some, there's some value here. Now, as it is, two of my three sons write. So one of them, uh, Joey, let, released his first book as a senior in high school, more because he's like, yeah, I'll show dad. You know, this isn't that hard. And then uh, the, and now he's doing it, or he's thinking of doing it. He's in his second year of college, happily in college. But, man, he's looking at the money that he produced way back then and thinking that would be fun to have. The other son, uh, Joshua, is my oldest. He was half my bucket reason for starting writing. And he's doing something, and his series is doing really well. So it sold that, you know, over 10,000 copies of, of the three books that, that we have there. So uh, he'll be releasing book four in the next couple, three, four weeks. And both of them, should they want, can get into the business. Neither one of them at the moment shows the proclivity to entrepreneurial stuff that would be necessary, though. But that comes with time. I mean, you said you started this at 47, which I do want to touch on for anyone listening. It's absolutely never too late to start. Oh, no. Mm -mm. But, I mean, we have the, a great example is um, within a couple of the major players that are inside of LMVPN, Craig Martell on one hand, Martha Carr on the other. Martha has been in the publishing business for over 30 years. She's had her books traditionally published and she's you know she'll tell you that she's had the opportunity to travel the, the nation and, and go to book signings you know 20 years ago but she never had the monetary success craig martell on the other hand marine um when he he finished a full course of, of marines you know gets out after just 20 years he goes back to school and gets a business and then he also gets a law degree and so when he finally retired retired at probably his mid-50s, he then took up the mantle of deciding, I want to write. And he comes at it with a you know, completely different mindset. Both of them are seeing six-figure success right now. One who had been there 30 years, never had it. One who never had it, and now does, even though he comes from a totally different background. So what would you say to someone who's just starting their writing journey right now? I know that you're, uh, you have a group that does travel and do shows, 20 books to 50K. What would you say to either a writer or a creator who's trying to build their own brand? What What is a lesson that you can pass on to, I guess I should say, brand building? I would encourage them to get product out and get res responses. I'm not a massive fan of asking your mother, brother, father, sister, friend, uncle, cousin, anything about it. Get it out in front of the people that really care. You know, you, you should have a story that, the first 3,000 words hooks them. They don't care how bad your editing is. Just freaking give them the next 3,000 words. If you can do that, you have opportunity. Make sure you love what you do. One of the easiest and best things I've done is I wrote for myself. And then I found other people who like what I like. 
So you, I never have to sit there and wonder, well, is this going to hit the market for anything that I'm focused on? LMVPN is too big for everything to be about me anymore. But for anything I'm certainly focused on, I am my target market of one. So I don't, I don't have to ask anyone. Do the same thing for yourself. Get out there, write it, release it. I, I do something called hit the bleeping button, which is publish. Too many people have a hang up with that. I didn't care because I put this stuff out there. If it didn't sell, I would go start the next thing. I'm willing to, like a programmer, I'd program it one way. If it didn't give me the solution, I'd look at what I made the mistake on. I'd correct it, and I'd do it again, quickly, iteratively. Well, Mike, it was an absolute pleasure having you. I think this is a great place to uh, to end it. So I'm going to turn off the recording right now, unless you have any uh, final words of wisdom you want to uh, you want to impart embark on the listeners. I would just encourage the listeners to continue doing it and get into it relatively quickly. I do think that like everything, I think you could probably speak to it as a business person. It will eventually coalesce into something bigger. And the opportunity is now. We hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you like the Follow the Hummingbird podcast, please subscribe. We distribute through Anchor. Our podcast is available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher.